1: notice he says strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die in other words there are things that are there but they're on life support and many people are not studying the bible so what are the things that they need to do that, that the things that we need to do to strengthen that which remains we need to get back into the word of god and study the bible to the-
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio with Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, Jesus tells the church at Sardis to be watchful. This first instruction from Jesus told them they need to examine and protect, strengthening what they have. The things which remain tells us that though the spiritual condition of the church of Sardis was bad, it wasn't hopeless. Spiritually, there were things which remained that could be strengthened. Jesus had not given up on them, and though it was late, it wasn't too late. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson.
1: You know feel free to write these down, but for time's sake I'm just going to read it to you. It'll be in the uh, notes as well. The Lord speaking to the children of Israel through Moses, and, and this is really pertinent to us, pertinent to us today. Verse 15, he says, See, I have set before you, and this is right before the children of Israel were going to cross over the Jordan River into the Promised Land after they had come out of Egypt. God says to them, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Does that sound like a loving God or not? I mean, that, t- that sounds to me like a loving father who cares for his people tremendously. And this is what a father does. No father looks at his children and and wishes evil upon them. He tells them the truth. He guides and directs them. And when they go astray, he has to discipline them. God did the same thing with them, and he does the same thing with us. He chastens those whom he loves. And I've been chastened of the Lord, and I know that I'm his because of that. If he didn't chasten me, then I wouldn't have a real father. But notice what he says. I announce to you today, but if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which, I, which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. And here it is in verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. That both you and your descendants may live. That's God's commandment to us. Choose life. Choose life, and, and you know, choose life in every aspect of your life. Choose life. You know, what have you chosen thus far? What have you chosen? What choices have you made? Were they uh, decisions based upon your your knowledge of Christ? and in your relationship with Christ have they been choices that have been more aligned with death rather than life we need to focus on the things that are good going forward and choose life choose life recently we were in a in a park at Shadow Pines Park just I don't know about a week or two ago a week and a half ago and I'll never forget there was a young man there who was playing with it. We we were down coming down going down a hill and coming up a hill, and we saw a young teenage boy on his bike, and he was playing with a, a a gardener snake, and it was a beautiful day, and he was just out doing his thing, you know, just out exploring, which young guys do, but he was there playing with the snake, and so we came upon him, and I said, hey, wow, look at that, you know, what kind of snake is that? And he and I looked, and I could see that it was a gardener snake. And then right across the path, there was a den of snakes. And we looked over there, and sure enough, there they are in the sun. The sun was beating right out. They're out there sunning themselves. They look like tourists out on the Florida beach. So there they are, and uh, they're out there sunning themselves. And I I see a bunch of big rocks near there. And so I looked at the young boy, knowing that when I was a young boy, the things that I thought, I remember I, I looked back at him with a smile on my face, and I said, choose life. (laughs) choose life because I was hoping that he wasn't going to smash those those uh, those snakes they weren't harming anyone you know but it just reminded me of of everything in life you know life is sacred and we don't have the right to snuff out a life unless our lives are in danger and we're being attacked of course but you know when possible choose life choose life it is a good thing choose life when I set out as a Christian I had my own plans of the things that I wanted to do and, and I'm so glad that the Lord intervened in my life and He took me on the path that I was on. He took me on the path that I was on and He put me on a different path. And I'm so glad that He did because I'm more blessed, happy, fulfilled, whatever you want to call it. I would have never have designed what I'm doing now for my life. It would have been the farthest thing from my thoughts, honestly. But God, He causes us first to will and then to do of His good pleasure. And you know what? I'm blessed. I'm very, I very—I truly am but, you know, we need to walk in the old paths. You know, the Bible speaks of, uh, of the paths that we take, but we should walk in the old paths. There's a phrase that says, if it is new, it is not true. And if it is true, it is not new. <laughs> Again, if it is new, it is not true. And if it is true, it is not new. And there are so many things today, people purporting, oh, I got a new revelation of God. No, you didn't. Uh, there's nothing new that God has, what needs to add to his scripture. Certainly, our experiences can be unique, but there's not going to be any other doctrine or any other uh, bodies of uh, material that we can look at and, and, um, and say that, you know, this is brand new. We just found this in a cave somewhere. God made sure that what we have in our hands right now has been verified, it's been scrutinized, it's been looked at under the fine tooth comb in every possible way. And some of the most vehement uh, opponents of the Bible have come to salvation as a result of their own investigation into the truths and the veracity of the Scripture. And so, but we are to be, to stay on those old paths. In fact, in Jeremiah, chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, the Lord is speaking to Judah and Benjamin, the, the southern two tribes, right before the Babylonian captivity in 606 BC. It says, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. This church in Sardis was not on that narrow path. They weren't on the path at all. They were dying on the vine, and instead of Being on that old path. You know, a lot of people say, well, it's old, therefore it needs to be replaced with something new. You know, sometimes the old things, there's no need to improve upon them. And especially when it comes to the Lord and His ways, His truth abides forever, His truth stands forever. The world and everything in it will pass away. But what did Jesus say? My word will never pass away. And that His word is truth. In Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 15 he said this because my people have forgotten me and he's speaking of the Jews of the of Judah and Jerusalem specifically they have burned incense to worthless idols and they have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in pathways and not on a highway and so we see that happen we see it we saw that happening to them and that's why they went into captivity the psalmist, David, said in Psalm 16, You will show me the path of life. The path of life is a wonderful path. And, and and very few there be that find themselves on that path because wide is the gate and wide is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate. Narrow is the road to le- that's leading to life, and few there are that find themselves on that because they choose other things, they, 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 they totally abandon the word of God, they abandon Jesus Christ, and there's, there's, there's really no other salvation outside of him. So where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? So many people looking for things. or trying to find themselves. You know, you don't need to go out and find yourself. You need to find Jesus Christ. He knows where you're at, but you have no clue of who He is. Find Christ. He is the way. The song that we sang this morning, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. That's Psalm 86. Unite my heart to fear your name, God, and I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. I will glorify your name forever. And this church of Sardis was not spiritually lost, but their spiritual vitality was on life support. They were breathing their last breaths, and and many of them were just plain dead. And there are churches, like I said before, monuments and uh, of movements long ago, pictures, marble busts, statues, stained glass, no excitement, the worship is dead, the teaching is dead. There's no belief, even in the pastor preaching, that this is the Word of God. Because if, if you don't believe that this is the Word of God, then I would encourage any pastor, anybody who doesn't, who's standing in the pulpit that doesn't believe in God and believe that this is the truth and that Jesus is the truth, please do everyone a favor and go work somewhere else. Because you don't belong there. You don't belong there. And even Calvary Chapel as a movement, it started what 50 years ago, and in the, in the hippie movement in the in the 70s, that's where it started. And if you know, we've been 50 years into this already, and we cannot look upon Chuck Smith, we can't look back on those past victories and things that happened in the past. I would I would encourage you to pray that God would do something new and fresh today, not uh, and not be looking back on what the how great Calvary Chapel was in the past. I want to see God do something with us today and going forward and not to be looking back. And see that's where we need to be, folks. And I would challenge you to pray. That's why prayer is so important. Revival needs to begin with me, it needs to begin with you. And I pray and pray for me too, that God would set me on fire. Not not in some kind of false bravado. You know, because Jesus, there was no one more spiritual on the planet than Jesus, and yet he was the most approachable, he was the most caring, he was the most loving. He didn't stand out on the corner with placards saying, all of you are going to hell. He was difficult and and hard on the religious leaders, but to the average person, he was the most loving and caring, and we need to be the same way. But if we don't ask God to do it now, we too... The Calvary Chapel movement will die on the vine and it will shrivel up and die. And we will be like many churches downtown where you walk in and there is nothing going on. Everything is dead. There's just statues. There's just a man opening a book and reading it. And you might not even be sober. And he's reading the liturgy. You know, And these things happen in real life. I've seen it myself. And this is not the way the church is to be. We must resist the spirit of our culture and ask God to revive us again. Will you be with me? Will you stand with me and ask God to do that in your own heart? And pray for me too. I want that more than anything because if we don't ask God to do this now in our life, what about our generation? What about our kids and our grandkids? What about this the, this area surrounding the church? We need to minister to them and get out. That's why we last summer we went out into the community around us and that's why hopefully we can do it again. And so I'd encourage you to pray, folks. Let's pray for revival in the church pray for revival within your own heart uh, there was a a man by the name of William Barclay he observed that a church is in danger of death when it begins to worship its own past when it is more concerned with forms than with life when it loves systems more than it loves Jesus Christ when it has more concern with material than spiritual things And that is true. That's one thing we have to be very careful of. And so as we look at verses 2 and 3 here, uh, we're going to see five keys to revival. And we're going to see them. The first one is be watchful. In other words, be awake. The second one is to strengthen the things that remain. The third thing is to remember. The the fourth thing is to hold fast or to watch or guard. And then finally, the fifth, to repent. Let's look at verse 2. He says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. It it just literally means to be awake. In other words, wake up. We, Calvary Chapel of Rochester, we need to wake up. I need to wake up. And I would encourage you, if you are in that place where you're just feeling kind of dead spiritually, wake up, wake up. You know, this 9-11 that uh, happened in our country, that was a wake-up call. And now this coronavirus is a wake-up call. How much more will God have to do to wake the church again? Jesus said to this church, be watchful. And no doubt he was God who knows all things, knowing the history of everything. This church wasn't watchful. There was a time in 549 BC that the Persian King Cyrus scaled the cliffs under the cover of darkness and and, and took over the city. Sardis lies about 1,500 feet on a plateau and it has very uh, slim sides there. And he found a way to climb up, uh, him and his uh, troops. And it was destroyed because they weren't paying attention. They weren't watching. And the same thing happened in 214 B.C. with Antiochus the Great, who was one of Alexander the Great's generals. He did the same thing by conquering the city just a couple hundred years after that. And this is something that we, too, as Christians, we need to wake up. We need to wake up. We need to open our word, open the Bible again, and start being obedient to it. We need to read it. And notice he says, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. In other words, there are things that are there, but they're on life support. And many people are not studying the Bible. So what are the things that they need to do, that, that, the things that we need to do to strengthen that which remains? We need to get back into the word of God and study the Bible. We need to understand what it says. How are you going to be able to know how to frame everything if we don't know what it says? We need to be back in prayer. We need to be people of prayer. So many people have given up on prayer. It's one of our least attended meetings in all of the church is our prayer meeting. And it shows where we really are at spiritually. It shows that we are declining. And folks, we need to be people of prayer. And we need to be back in fellowship. And, And certainly we can't be in fellowship physically right now. But we can call each other on the phone right now. There's a lot we can do. We can socially distance at parks, you know, we can do these things. But get back into fellowship, get back into the personal evangelization. Do you evangelize personally when you're out and about? Do you talk to people? Do you hand them a Bible? Do you have a couple Bibles in your car, you know, and you see somebody? Be open to what the Spirit of God might want to do and be obedient to God's Word. Be obedient to God's word. These are things that we need to strengthen or else because they are ready to die. And that's what he spoke to the church at uh, at Sardis. And uh, in many churches, there are people in those churches that are in the similar state. I'm not saying that our fellowship is anywhere near that, but there are um, people in every different, every one of these states, in every church, you'll find some are doing really well, some aren't doing well, some are struggling, some aren't being obedient, some are living in outright sin. They're sleeping with their with their girlfriend, they're living with their, you know, with somebody else, and they're ripping their their boss off. And others are are just watching things that they shouldn't watch. Disobedience and spiritual dryness, one author said, are twin sisters. Wherever you find one, you will find the other. Selective obedience is no obedience at all. It is merely convenience. Get back to obeying God's Word, and that's what we need to do. And going on to verse 3, Jesus said to this church, Remember, remember, therefore what you have received. The, key, the New King James says how you have received, but some other texts say what you have received, and that actually makes more sense. Remember what you have received and what you've heard. Remember when you gave your heart to Christ and the joy that you had and, and just being free from the, the guilt and the burden of sin, knowing that you've been forgiven. Do you remember that joy? Do you remember that it was like like a honeymoon experience? I remember it myself, and I don't ever want that to end I always want to live with that honeymoon experience with the Lord, because I don't never I never want that flame to die out in my heart. And I allow it to die out when I I'm more fixed on the things of the of the world. And the things in the world aren't necessarily evil, but it's it's, it's what I do with them. You know, is that where my heart is in the in the patterns and the things and the in the systems of the world, or is my heart really close to Christ? And do I really want to love Him and to honor Him and to love people? and to encourage them. These are things we need to consider. Remember how you have received and, and what you've received. What did, what did we receive? We received the gospel. We received the gospel. This church, certainly at Sardis, was evidently not allowing the Spirit of God to have His way in them. And did you know that we have the ability, the scary ability to quench, to grieve, and resist the Spirit of God. And that's what happens in a dead church. A dead church doesn't just get dead automatically. It's a process. It's a process. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, it says, Do not quench the Spirit of God. And, and literally what that means is to extinguish it, to throw water on the fire. And we throw water on the fire by watching movies and and junk on television that aren't really edifying, things that are actually warring against us rather than building us up and encouraging us. And and, and in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, what does it say? Paul said to the Ephesians, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We can grieve the Spirit of God. He's not some impersonal force out there in the universe. No, He's a person. We sang it this morning. God in three persons, blessed Trinity, we do not want to grieve the Spirit of God. And yet this church in Sardis, they not only quenched him, they grieved him, but now they also resisted him. In Acts chapter 7, remember when Stephen stood before, his, before the religious leaders, right before he was stoned, he really got on their case. And he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you. And what was the result of that? They killed him. They stoned him to death outside the city because they were so angry with him because he told them the truth. And the truth hurts sometimes, doesn't it? But we need to hear the truth. And again, in verse 3, what does he say again? One of the other keys to revival is holding fast. Holding fast. And that, that, what that means is to literally watch or guard. And then finally, to repent to repent, and that really just means to turn around. It's a word that nobody likes today. I mean, you mentioned the word repent out in public, and, and they know exactly who you are. Oh, you're one of those Bible-thumping, you know, conservative Christians. And, you know, we got to do everything that we do in love, right? I mean, who's going to respond to somebody who's, who seems angry? You know, we don't need to be angry. We got great news to share. Yes, there's a bite to it because we have to if we need a savior, that means that we're that we're that we need to be saved. And what do we need to be saved from? Well, all the sin. Our our whole life is filled with sin. We need to be saved, right? And so, but we can do that with joy and with decency and with respect to other people. We don't need to be nasty with them. I mean, who's going to want to receive from you if you're Uh, being really nasty to them. Jesus was never nasty to the average person who didn't know him. He was hard on the religious leaders, but the average person he was not. So he says, hold fast, watch or guard, and then repent, to turn around, to think differently, to have a change of heart. That's really what repentance is. I'm going in one direction, and I see the fruit of it, and I make a about face, and I turn the opposite direction, and I go the opposite direction. There is a problem you know, when we love our sin and we will do anything to protect it and to keep it. We have to turn from that thing. He says, therefore, verse 3, if you will not watch, notice, if you will not watch, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know that when uh, what hour I will come unto you. This language sounds very similar to other areas in the scripture where Jesus is speaking concerning the second coming but this is not what this is referring to at all Uh, it's really speaking of uh, God removing his influence and his sweet fragrance really in their fellowship removing their influence of this church you remember in revelation chapter 2 verse 5 when Jesus is speaking to the Ephesians what he said to them he said repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent and and really that's just, when he removes the lampstand, remo- he, he removes the light. But if we continue in rebellion, uh, God will just remove the light, your influence on the, your culture, on your family, on, in your own life, your influence. You may be saved, but there's going to be no influence at all. And there's so many people like that, so many Christians like that. They, they, they have salvation, you know, but, but they've they, they, they just kind of like, they've done nothing. And, and and they have no there's no zeal, there's no there's no reading, there's no studying the word of God, there's no prayer, there's nothing. They're just kinda of living their lives now, and there's no witness. And and what how does that really help the individual?
0: When a I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation.